people rooting really, really hard all the way through the bottom of the night, just praying the NL would get a single run so they could see the home run derby, see something different, see something unique. But, yeah, you just, you got the MLB All-Star game. Fox Sports with the call last night. Some breakdown of Stanton and Buxton's back-to-back homers that combined traveled 882 feet over at Dodger Stadium. But the Yankee and the Twin, they get it done in the top of the fourth, and the AL gets it done on the diamond. That ball is hammered to left center field. Goodbye. Two-run shot. Tie game. Right up to where he used to sit as a kid coming to games here at Dodger Stadium. Field. Watch this. Hands and then gone. That quick. That's the view you're going to get from home. And you see the barrel of the bat that stays in the zone the entire time. And when you make a mistake as a pitcher, that's what the great hitters of our generation, of this generation, can do because they're just strong. That was Stanton's, and here is Buxton's. Lead the Twins to the postseason. He turns on a ball and hits it a mile. Byron Buxton puts the AL in front. Two mammoth home runs. Stanton and now Buxton. Well, another one up in the zone, but that's just strength right there. Quick bat, and now there's no shadows. So the hitting's going to be a little bit easier than it was early in the game, and advantage hitters. Yeah, and there you have what one of the Dodgers' own taking the L there. Um in that game after giving up that was I don't even was was the cat's name Gonzalez yeah Tony Gonzalez I Gonzalez who is by the way seven and zero this year for the sixty and thirty Dodgers but in the All Star game at his own place yeah give up a jack and take the out don't worry Tony it ain't going on your win loss record it's still unblemished for the season but I, there's there's a pageantry to the all-star game. I admit it. There's something nice about it, but I, 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 you know, as far as who wins or loses, I mean, I enjoyed seeing some Mets out there, but I really, I, I, I kind of dozed off for a good bit of it. I'm not even going to lie to you guys. I mean, I did. Speaking of baseball, major league baseball yesterday, a pair of raging Cajuns were drafted. Now, Julian Brock was not one of them. And, and a little bit of a surprise, Bo Bonds, at least to me, Bo Bonds was the first Cajun selected. The sophomore right-hander went 398th overall in the 13th round to the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, look, Bonds was 5-3 and three last year, um, is looked at as a relief pitcher. He was on the Sunbelt all- Conference All-Tournament team. He was awesome. Just underwent Tommy John surgery recently, and so there was... I don't know. Now, we'll see, negotiating-wise. I mean, he's not going to be playing next year anyway, so this is... Uh, I That could be it. And then you've got Tyler Robertson, who we expected to go, possibly day two, and then, you know, day two ended. And so yesterday we said maybe early, early side, but 14th round, 22 picks after Bonds. He went at 420 overall. And the junior from Montgomery, like we were talking about yesterday with Jay Walker, you know, you, you can offer up to 127,000, uh, excuse me, 120,000 for a guy to sign. That's a day three pick rounds 10 through 20. Doesn't mean you're going to, doesn't mean you have to. I mean, it's, that's the maximum. But if you're a junior, this is kind of the leverage you have. So if the price is right, 
then maybe Robertson's heading to San Diego to the Padres who drafted him. If not, maybe he's back in the Vermilion and White. We will see. Julian Brock not drafted. And, you know, honestly, after hearing Jay Walker talk about it yesterday, you got the sense that it may not happen. Um, But a draft-eligible sophomore, and when the fall rolls around, you'll expect to see some scouts out at Russo Park. I'm Scott Prather. So here's what we got in store for you this morning. We'll circle back to the baseball talk later in the 8 o'clock hour. We're going to bring on my friend Ralph Malbro for about 15 minutes, host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast. They put together a bracket of the top villains in Saints history, the, the guys that Saints fans just love to hate, can't stand. I'll discuss that with them. And then Ryan Leaf, as promised. Ryan Leaf is going to join me. You know him as, you know, the bust who was taken by the Chargers, one pick after Peyton Manning. Maybe you just know the headlines from his struggles off the field post-football. But what he's doing now today in the sports broadcasting world, in sobriety and helping others, uh, we kind of go through a lot of it and the journey and the struggles. Um, I recorded the interview with him last week in uh, a lot of transparency very uh, you're gonna enjoy it you don't want to miss it that's coming your way this morning as well keep it locked in right here this is the great scott show i'm scott prather it's espn lafayette the best ticket in this is the one place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel this is nfl which stands for not for long when you make them calls ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. This is the one place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel. This is NFL, which stands for not for long when you make them calls. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show on a Wednesday. A Wednesday that um, is only one of two days in the entire calendar year that doesn't have a Major League Baseball game, an NFL game, an NBA game, or an NHL game. The other was Monday, but they had the home run derby. All-Star game was last night, and we talked about it in the Last segment, so uh, I figure that's enough. I mean, it's an all-star game. I have trouble getting into them. Ralph Malboro of the Saints Happy Hour podcast is our guest now to talk about something we all enjoy, and that is villains. I was talking with my friend Jay Walker yesterday. Sports hate is is generally a good hate. It's a good thing to have in your heart, right? It's the last, it's the last vestige of pure hatred that we have, as an American society are allowed. Like, if any other kind of hate is usually bad, we're better off as a society. We've, we've evolved, right? So other kinds of hate are frowned upon, and rightfully so. But sports hate, Scott, it's still pure. It's still enjoyable. We can hate people and, uh, and torment our teams, and people don't judge us. It's just great. It's the last true vestige of hate, the last true vestige of hatred allowed. 
Someone could say, where's the humanity? I'm like, look, I'm not wishing these people to, I don't know about their personal lives. I'm just wishing them complete failure at their employment. Like, is that so bad? You know, I'm just, I'm just wishing the Falcons to just struggle. Is that, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want Kyle Pitts to get hurt. That's wrong. That's messed up. I don't, for the record. But if he drops five passes in a game, then yeah, I, I want that. Does that make me a bad person? No. Like if he would get the dropsies for like every NFC South divisional game and the Falcons would finish two and fifteen, like his contact contract is guaranteed, it's fine. No, we're not wishing we're not wishing ill. In fact, I would wish him maybe he'll be so bad the Falcons can trade him away to an AFC team, then he can be great. Yeah. Right, right. Everyone's like, oh, you're still going to make Matt Ryan jokes? I'm like, maybe, probably, but if he does really well, that would actually be even funnier. Like, what if he just had a great season with the Colts? Great season. Be like, okay, that's... I mean, it's not unheard. Like, it's it's not impossible. Like, the Colts are in a good... The Colts are in a good situation. And, you know, I know we, we, we don't... You don't necessarily think about it, but that Colts team, when they had Philip Rivers for that one year, like they were really close to winning that playoff game in Buffalo. And like, I'm not saying that that Colts team would have won a Super Bowl or anything, but if they win the playoff game in Buffalo and go other places, I think people remember Philip Rivers one year with the Colts very differently, right? I mean, if Matt Ryan, if he gets the Colts to 11, 12 wins and they make a playoff run, uh, It'll be remembered, and it'll also be hysterical because we all believe and hope <laughs> the Falcons will be right. terrible. Right, the it's, Falcons are terrible and have to watch Matt Ryan succeed. It's a win-win, right, for Saints fans. Right. If he does bad, you can still make little Matt Ryan jokes if you want. But if he does great, then it's funnier. It's like y'all y'all got got rid of him because you chased a a quarterback that you know has his own issues, and Saints did the same, and they've been called out for it as they should be in Watson. But now you're stuck with Marcus Mariota. I mean. Have fun. Have a good time. Cool. Um, with that, I wanted to bring you on, uh, Ralph Malbro, our guest. ESPN Lafayette, best ticket in sports. Open up talking about the All-Star game. I'll close the show a little bit on the All-Star game. And coming up after Ralph, as promised, my one-on-one with Ryan Leaf. Really good interview. Transparent. Uh, really interesting. That's coming your way in a little bit. But before that, Ralph, I, you guys at the Saints Happy Hour had a great summer activity, uh, and it was the, the the Saints villain bracket. Now, you had a couple of rules, right? You couldn't That's choose right. coaches or staff or players that were on the Saints. It had to be, like, opponents, right? Like, lay down yeah. the groundwork for our listeners that did, you know, a lot of them listen to the show and they they follow the bracket. Yeah, but for like, those that have... People were like, "Hey, I want, I want Jared Cook. He's a recent Saint. People, we hate him because he he fumbled the ball across the Saints to play game. Like, why isn't Jared Cook in the villains bracket? We're like, well, we did a bracket like four years ago, most hated Saints, and we had executives, and Mike Ditka ended up winning, right? So we're like, we can't have former Saints players or executives because we did the we did the Saints player person we hate." And we had that bracket. So we can't have Saints being in the bracket. The one thing with the bracket that maybe we should have done is maybe we should have broke it into two. And, and, and instead of saying we, we combined it to villain, but maybe we should have done like villains are like front office and Goodell, and that's a separate category for villain. And then like Saints killers are on field people. Because the thing is, in this bracket, 
Goodell and Bill Vinovich are like the 72 Dolphins, the 85 Bears. They are just going to maul right through this bracket. And, like, you have Saints villains that are on-field people. Like, Joey Galloway, he murdered the Saints. Like, oh, his stats yeah. against the Saints are Awful. incredible. And he was, like, 100 years old when he was killing the I Saints. mean, I'll never forget those touchdowns. And then he'd just, yeah. like, stand on the ball and then flex one arm. And it's like... This isn't Joey Galloway of the Seahawks. Like, why? Why does he? Why does he drink from the fountain of youth every time he plays the Saints? Why is he? Why is he catching six passes for 170 yards and two touchdowns? Like, what is happening? He's he's 55 years old. How is this happening? But like, so you have that. You have like Greg Olson, who, who was in a bracket that we just did. Uh, you know, Vernon Davis, Flipper Anderson. You have like, these on-field guys, but you also have the off-field people like Goodell. And Jeff Duncan, a media person who uh, our listeners demand that we put in. And you have like Darren Sproles' wife, Michelle, who put a curse on the Saints. She was in the, like, so it, it was a fun bracket because the thing is, you know, when we started this podcast more than a decade ago, you had these long, long dry spells of news that the NFL doesn't really have anymore because the NFL is this all-consuming animal. So we had to fill time. But now it's not as bad. But the, the bracket is it's one of my it's one of our favorite things. And now that we have a producer that we can pull video and clips and sound, it's just it's just amazing. And the thing is that's crazy is people get hot about these brackets because you have the younger Saints fans that want all these these recent people, and then you have the old Saints fans like me and you maybe that are like Flipper Anderson. Like all time villain, dude. You know, all time game against one the game Saints. that lasts forever. He's like the one hit wonder of one hit. But, but you, I mean, you match him up with Roddy White. I mean, come on, we know where that's going. You know, like, <laughs> uh, but to, to, last thing on on the bracket. I mean, you, it's not. You also have like what you have Goodell on there. You have Bill Vinovich. So the criteria specifically is is what? What does it take for one to? get a spot in this bracket one the, the the champion needs to be the person that the saints fans hate the most and you just mention their name and saints fans go to a very bad place a facial expression you don't need the person that wins this it should not be needed to explain to a saints fan like that's what it should be whoever okay. wins whether it's vinovich goodell Julie galloway whoever Whoever wins, I should just be able to say their name and a Saints fan's face should turn like somebody just broke wind in yeah. the room. Vinovich. And they're, dis- and they're disgusted. Like that's that's who it needs. That's the that's the true champion of the, the Saints of Villain. All right. And you can go uh, follow the guys on Twitter at Saints Happy Hour. Uh, and you can and- vote in the poll in case we have a tie when we do the voting on the big shows. Vote in the poll, and then if we have a if, if the tie, if it's two two when we vote, uh, the fan vote breaks it. So vote in the polls. I mean, we we're, we're have you in these discussions, Ralph, with listeners and and interactions that you guys have. Is there a Saints villain that you were surprised, or perhaps, you know, wh- whether it be man, I thought a lot more people would despise this person, or Really, like a lot of Saints fans, they feel that strongly that that, that they have that much sports hatred—not human hatred, sports hatred—toward this individual. Like, have there? What's been the surprise to you thus far? Any? I think you know the surprise to me was Sean Pamphlon. Is 
he is, he's the one that to me got the most like vitriol because people forget like he betrayed Steve Gleason and we love Steve Gleason and Steve Gleason's overcome so much and he's like an icon for the but Pamela like betrayed him. Like he, you know, he, Gleason gave him behind the scenes access and Gleason was like, please don't do this. Don't release this. And Pamphlet was like, I'm releasing it. I'm doing it. I'm saving the I'm world or the, whatever. The audio of Greg Williams before the yeah, NFC the divisional game saying, Williams, you know, let's take I'm, him out, take the head off the snake, hit him in the head and all this stuff. And everyone at the time was very sensitive to that stuff based on how things were yeah. being reported. And, and I think I just, not that I didn't realize it, but I, I guess I kind of forgot it because, you know, Bounty Gates a decade ago, right? I had forgotten just how raw and bad we were about Pamphlon doing that to Gleason. And that was a thing where people, like he won a bunch of times and people were, people were still really, really mad and raw about that. That one of all of them, that's, surprised me the most and it just it surprised me the most in a fact is it just reminded me like we we love we love gleason and bounty gate we were mad and we were spitting fire all over the place at, at, at lots of people you know i i'm not surprised at all that steve smith beat algernon crumpler um <laughs> but i mean algernon only four percent like I, I you know i mean it's just i think ultimately with these things there's got to be some recency bias, right? I mean, no matter what. It was just by nature. You're on social media. Your older audience isn't going to be as active on it. I mean, there's. it's going to be, it's probably not going to be a villain from our childhood, right? It's going to be a villain from someone else's childhood that's a bit younger than you and I. Well, yeah, I think well, the thing is, Alfie Crumpler had the one game where he just like, killed the Saints late and beat them, and he had some other stats. But, like, Deion Sanders, like, if you flipped his time, if he was doing that now, oh. he'd be still going on. But it's 30 years ago, so it's kind of in the past. Um, Steve Smith, though, the thing about Steve Smith is not only did he kill the Saints as two separate teams, right, and Carolina and Baltimore, but, like, he spiced up that Saints rivalry. Like they were fighting. He fought the Saints when he was in Baltimore. He fought the Saints twice in Carolina. Like he was a villain because he made that Carolina rivalry much more uh, hated and heated than it is now. And uh, he talked the talk and he walked the walk. So he made it. He made it extra fun to hate on him. Uh, but he's a, he's another guy like on the if we just did on the field guys he could definitely I think win but when you include the off the field people it becomes more difficult I I think you know uh, off the field people or um, on the field like opposing coaches like you know I mean how how despised was Mike Martz because the the <laughs> The turn of the century Saints going up against the greatest show on turf and the St. Louis Rams at the time. Everyone loved them. Everyone talked about their offense all the time. And I know I know I'm getting off track with the Mike March thing, but dude, people really could I mean Saints yeah. fans, he was he was you know, I, I know Jerry Glanville was on the list and at the time, you know, he ran his mouth and stuff, but he ended up growing to be somewhat likable after his career in a weird way. Like I'll never forget Glanville in the, during the 2000 season, one that you and I love, 
I mean, Mike Ditka's sitting on TV on a panel on one of these, I don't remember which network it was, and they're looking at him, and they're like, man, the Saints are really good, and it's bothering Mike that it's happening right when he left, and Glanville's sitting there singing in his ear like an annoying like child, like, oh, when the Saints, like, he's giving Mike the business. He's like, Mike, man, wh- wh- what do you think about this? I mean, they seem to be, yeah, you're right. They are doing a lot better. I mean, how do you feel about it? He didn't want to answer any of the questions. And from that moment on, I was like, you know what? I I, I like this guy. Like, I, I know I'm not supposed to. Whereas, you know, Mike Martz talking about, like, opposing coaches that Saints fans can't stand. I mean, he's high on the list. I mean, who do you think a, a non-Saints coach would be as far as most despised? Is he at the top? He, he might be. The thing about Mike Martz, though, that I think sort of muffles the – reason why we don't hate him so much is Jim Hassett kind of got the best of them. And we kind of knew that Jim Hassett wasn't a great coach. Like me and Andrew did uh, our, when we, in the summer, we, we review old saints games and you can go to YouTube, type in saints Rams, 2001 saints went to the Rams in 2001. The Rams were undefeated and it is the encapsulation of the Jim Hazlitt, Aaron Brooks era. The Saints fumbled five times. They played the Rams. The, between the two teams, they had 10 turnovers. Uh, it is a bonkers football game. Undisciplined penalties everywhere. It's just a delight to watch. And the Saints somehow end up winning uh, because Mike March was just pedal to the metal, no discipline. But for I think for fans to like truly hate a coach, they kind of have to own you. Like That's why the pe- other fan bases in the NFC South – that's why they hated Sean Payton. He was arrogant. He was a jerk. But also, the Saints were beating their heads in. Like, that's why they hated Sean Payton so much. If you just beat him a little bit, and a fan is mostly 50-50 of the other fan bases ahead of you, the, the coach isn't as annoying. Um, but I'll say one thing, one last thing on Jerry Glanville. I am always surprised that he did not become a TV star. He was fantastic on TV after being a coach. I don't, I don't know how you become a star on TV and talking head football. I don't necessarily know that path, but I was always surprised. Like Jerry Glanville, he had everything that should have made him a yeah. TV star. Maybe if he was retired now. With right. TV, it, well, yeah, that's just that, it. That, it was a but, timing thing. He was, too, he was too brazen at a time before that was the thing to do on TV. You know, it was like, no, you, you don't rock the boat. You just break down the tape, laugh a lot on set. They, there wasn't as much of the guys ribbing each other and getting mad at each yeah. other. And, 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 you know, guys putting their egos aside, realizing this is good TV. And so, yeah, I think Glanville just ticked too many people off. They're like, we can't have this guy on here. He's just, he's too much of a wild card and he might make others look bad. So that's, that's what that is right there. Yeah. ESPN Lafayette, best ticketed sports, Ralph Malbro. So uh, who do you think wins your, ultimately, who's who's the front runner here for y'all's Saints villain bracket? It's, t- it's tough. I think it's going to end up being, I think it ends up being Goodell by a little bit because, and maybe by a lot, because here's the thing, Goodell, Bounty Gate, it's sort of in the past, but it's just like an open wound. And once we always get to talking about it, we the rage comes out, the four-letter words that we shouldn't be saying on the podcast, but we do come out. And I think, like, Goodell, it's just like you people realize they hate him, and Vinovich might be fresh, fresher in our mind, right? 
But like Bounty Gate, once you start peeling it back, and you're like, oh yeah, and then you're like, he took away the draft picks, and you know he didn't he, he sat he, he didn't say anything about the no call for a week, which I know he couldn't change it, but it just makes infuriates you more. Like I think the, I think it's I think it's Goodell. If, you, if we did a line on it, he'd probably be like a five and a half point favorite because it, that's that's what happens whenever we talked about Goodell. You don't think about it, and then. Bounty Gate just comes rushing back. It's like PTSD, and you get all and get enraged all, all over again. ESPN Lafayette. It is. Um, I, I, there's again, sports hate is is okay. It's good, as you said. It's the one thing that is still kind of not frowned upon in this country to an extent. Again, you and I are not suggesting you celebrate when someone gets injured or anything like that. We're. I think people know what we mean when we're talking about the fandom side of things and um yeah man i i i think for a lot of these things as much as you interact with saints fans i want to take a quick time out ralph but i I want to in about five or six minutes talk with you about a a, um a top 10 list recently i i normally don't appease these things i normally just kind of ignore them but it, it it hit me with i guess the fact that i'm getting a little older there was a lot of recency bias in it and generally if you know sports well, all you'd have to do is ask someone a few questions about a certain team that you follow, and then you can guess their age, sometimes like on the nose. I'll explain more on that when we come back right after this. This is ESPN Lafayette, Great Scott Show. Don't go anywhere. Athletically, in the seventh grade. Do you know what a hero you are to me? I presume you're referring to my four touchdowns in one game. It's the Great Scott Show with Scott Prather on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Coming up later, Ryan Leaf, my one-on-one with the uh, NFL bust who has had quite a crazy life. We cover it all. You don't want to miss it. That's coming your way in just a little bit. We'll uh, we'll close the show, how we opened it, talking a little bit about last night's MLB All-Star game. But right now, Ralph Malbro, my friend, host of the Saints Happy Hour podcast, Saints writer, uh, Saints historian, my guest. Now, real quick, you, you hear a little, you know, you always hear Beastie Boys when you come on, Ralph. My kids um, asked me if they could make a Beastie Boys music video this summer. And so uh, when I had some time off, I let's just say I maybe got a little too into it. But um, I think I might have to share it on social media this later this week because it, it, it more or less became an homage trying to be just like a music video, but like if, as if kids had done it. And um, I, 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 I guilty as charged. I got way too carried away with it, but I think it's pretty awesome. I don't know. I'm going to have to let you, I must have to see what you yeah. thought it, what you think about it. It's crazy. My kid, he is used to be really, really into the BC boys and he still kind of is, but I got, I broke down and finally got Apple music. And I didn't realize that Apple Music, when you have it, they, you have like access to videos and movies and all these musical things. 
and he stumbled on to Jimi Hendrix. Oh, and now okay. he is a Jimi Hendrix addict slash aficionado. <laughs> and Scott, I've listened to Voodoo Child like nine billion times. Uh, so that's where my son is. He's planning out his Halloween costume. He wants to be the Jimi Hendrix experience. He wants to be the entire band. I don't know how we're going to pull that off. But that's where I am in my, my son's musical journey. I like it. I like it. You know, and Jimmy James, I mean, that's your favorite Beastie Boys song, right? That, that, that's, that's about Jimi Hendrix. They, they take right. a couple of uh, layers of beats from one of his songs. All right. So, Boot Crew Media. I, I got nothing against Boot Crew Media. I think they put out good stuff. I like their Chris Connor, who I, I admire. You know, he's got a podcast with him. Um, but they, they, you know, they drop some Saint stuff sometimes and, you get riled up, uh, and it makes me smile. And I, it struck me with this top ten most loved saints of all time list they dropped earlier this week. And what struck me was whoever put this together is young. Like it, it felt like you could tell a lot of people from '06 on, and then you know some Hall of Famers because well, you got to have them on there, even though I probably didn't see them play. And look. If I was putting together a list of like, you know, most loved Saints, it's going to look different than that. But interacting with Saints fans as much as I have over the years, and certainly you, you start to get a pretty good feel for how someone is viewed by the masses, right? Are they, are they really universally like Sammy Knight? I mean, his whole career when he was with the Saints, it feels like he played there for like 15 years. It wasn't. It wasn't even that long, but he was just that beloved, right? Pierre Thomas. Gleason was liked, started to be loved after the block, and then post-football, you know, took on an entirely different level of sort of connection with the fan base for different reasons, which people know about. But, you know, like Willie Rose on the list, and I'm like, I love Willie. He ain't top 10 because when he played, the Saints weren't all that good. And he played on the old line. And, you know, Kyle Turley was more loved by fans than Willie Rofe is. Maybe not today, but at the time. It wasn't really close. And that's not to say that I don't love Willie Rove. Reggie Bush, beloved. And then, you know, there was some frustration that ended up coming shortly thereafter. Like, I looked at the list and I said, a lot of these people belong on it. Some of them don't. But this struck me as this was done by someone young. And I think a lot of times, like, there are people older than me, Ralph, that were like, how is Archie Manning not on here? Like, you talk about beloved players. The Saints were so terrible, and he was the guy, the team, like yeah. everything for so long. He absolutely should be on the list. And so I think a lot of times when you're when you're putting together a top 10 anything and you're getting it off social media, it's usually going to be from somebody that's a bit younger. And I don't know. I don't I don't mind it, but I I feel like you might a little bit. It, it's in, well, it tends to rally you up, Ralph. Silliest. It's the silliest. It's the silliest of silly lists, right? Because how do you measure Saints fans' love? Like you can't, you can't measure it in any quantifiable way. I guess we, me and you, could sit down for an hour and we could debate some formula, right? Right, but we probably right. couldn't go back to, you know, I mean, I'm in my early forties. You're in your forties. Stuff that happened before us, I don't know that we could really speak well on it because it's one thing to hear people talking about players they love when they were little, but it's another to kind of experience it in the moment and just know yeah. like, I, Oh my God, I, everyone lo- like Marcus Colson by week four of his rookie year. It was like, there's, there's a, there's a connection here between him and the fan base. That's, that's different. That's special. That's unlike, you know, a lot of what you see between, you know, fan and player. 
Yeah, I mean, the one, like, glaring omission, I mean, you can argue it up and down, but the one I feel like was the most glaring, and this will make me sound like an old man, but whatever, Michael Lewis got to be on that list. Like, if you weren't there for the beer man phenomenon, like, it captivated the Saints fan base, the nation. They were talking about they're going to make a movie of it. I mean, he was a beer delivery dude. It's the, the Vince Saints- it's the Vince Papali story, except he's not a below-average player that makes tackles on special teams. He yeah. is a freaking I mean, NFL record holder still to this day. Like, he's like, that good. Yeah, like the Saints got him, and he couldn't catch punts, but he was super fast, and the Saints are like, you know what? We're just going to let you hang out for a year, and like we're going to teach you how to catch punts and kicks. And they did it. And then he became this unstoppable force of a returner. Like, I'm not saying he's better than Devin Hester or any of the great returners, but what I am telling you is when Michael Lewis was at his absolute apex, he's as good, he's as good as there ever was returning kicks and punts. And like, that was mania. So you like, you got to have him on those. And that's not like ancient history. That's like 20 years ago. Um, the other one I would say is like, Scott Fujita, I think, could be on the love list, and and not top, you think top ten though all time. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Morton Anderson had you know he was yeah, kind of more, a weird phenom because he, I mean, he had his restaurant. He was just you had the Dome Patrol, and then you had Mort Dalton Hilliard could have an argument. I mean, there, yeah, I think there are a lot of guys that were loved. No, I, I as the older I get, the more I dislike yeah. Abair because I blame him for the playoff losses. Yeah, under more, but I think you got to like Bobby Abair's got to be on that list. I don't, so. I don't know though, Ralph, because he was. It's weird because he's loved now the Cajun. Dude, when he was in Atlanta and he was giving the bird to the fans, I mean, I, I don't he was he was hated for a stretch. Yeah. You know what I mean? So none of the other guys on the list you could say, man, there was a period of time where they couldn't stand him. I mean, we're talking went to the Falcons. You know, I mean, heck, Joe Horn, I didn't even bring up his name. He was so beloved at a time, you know, when I, I don't know, man. There are there are a lot of arguments to be made, but like you said, that's the great thing about it. But generally, you ask somebody who their favorite player is or of all time is, whether it be your team or whether it just be in a sport, and you can pretty quickly be like, okay, you're, you're aged somewhere between this and this, right? I mean, it's not hard to figure out. And that's, that's just something that, you know, as I get older, I start to see more and more of. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, for Saints, for Saints fans, any anyone under thirty is probably Breeze, Camara, you know, those. And but then then you get into people our age, maybe maybe it's a little different. Maybe you say like Rams, Ricky Jackson, or Willie Roke. Um, but you know, the the love thing with the Saints, I will say, is it is really good that the the list is recent because if young kids that are doing social media are putting together lists and they're pulling names from a long time ago. That means they, that means they don't have anything recent to grab onto that gets them excited. And that's the worst thing you want. You're right. You as a sports fan, even though we get old and we get cranky, you want your team's greatest players and top 10 lists. You want it to always be churning and changing because if it doesn't change, that means your your greatness and your funnest memories. You're not making new ones, and the the good ones are just getting further and further in the rear view. 
You're right. Ralph Malbro, our guest. Great stuff. At Saints Forecast on Twitter, the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Go download it. Oh, it's the summertime. Well, they've had nonstop content coming from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. It's great. I know rookies are, um, you know, uh, getting underway at the beginning of training camp today. I know next week, week from today, the veterans will. So there'll be a few more things to chew on uh, in regards to the Saints. But in the meantime, go give Ralph a follow. Check out the podcast if you haven't already. And check out his columns over at WWLTV.com. I know he's working on his Saints preview column, which... I mean, is that the one that you end up re-editing the most, Ralph? Yeah, because the thing is, like, I come up with, like, a theme, right, and, like, a like a narrative, and then, like, I was going to do, like, the Saints were rock and roll, but it didn't really come out right, and I didn't like it. But this year, my theme is I got to do a lot of work on it. But basically, you know the 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 the, the gif from the Game of Thrones where Jon Snow is, like, all alone. Yeah. And, like, he's got, like, a thousand White Walkers coming at him. And he just raises his sword, and it's him against 9,000 people. That's kind of what the Saints season is. I feel like it's the Saints and their fans against the entire world. Because this is the first time, I think, Scott, in, like, a long time where the Saints, their opinion of themselves, and the Saints fans' opinion of the team – is completely contrary to the rest of the football world. Like, even under Breeze, we all kind of thought the same. It would be like, well, the Saints offense, it's awesome. The defense can get fixed. The Saints can be good. And that was sort of the fans' feeling, the national media's feeling. But now, like, it has diverged in completely different directions. And this year with the Saints, if the Saints succeed we get to dunk on all of these experts saying the saints are reckless in the draft they don't know what they're doing they should have rebuilt they're on decline they they're they're a horribly run organization we get to dunk all over those people or the saints will struggle and they'll say we told you so you weren't really a contender and you're burning all these draft picks and making all this cap space your golden era of sean payton and drew Brees is over you're back to irrelevance and a horribly run organization so like we've like drawn these these like very bright lines and I just think it makes the season really really interesting and and fun because like we're 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 always invested in the Saints winning but like team experts are pointing at the Saints being like Mickey Loomis got fleeced by the Eagles they don't know what they're doing why are they creating catches why are they signing Honey Badger he's not any good anymore Landry's not any good like these things are going to be debated and argued about and I just think it makes this season really fun and really interesting because to my way of thinking it's not so much that the experts we always say oh the experts they hate my team and that's usually not true but I really do believe that there's a segment of experts out there the analytics people the draft people they have a belief system that this is the way to build a successful team. And if you deviate from it, you will not be successful. And Mickey Loomis and the Saints are like thumbing their nose at them and laughing at them and being like, you think you need to trade down with the, tra- with the draft chart and accumulate picks? You know what, buddy? We'll show you. You think you need to do it this way and have a lot of cap space and, and not be reckless with the cap? We'll show you. Like, I think they have a lot of experts that are invested. They need the Saints to fail 
to sort of prove their theories are correct of how you win in the NFL. And I just cannot wait for this season. It, I think it's I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be incredibly fascinating uh with the Saints because the Saints have I think their roster is really good and deep, deeper than people think. But they do have like a high variance, Scott. Like they, there's a scenario where like it all falls apart and they're like seven and ten. But there's also a, a more likely scenario, I think, where it kind of comes together and they're like eleven and six, twelve and five, and like in it in the NFC because the NFC is so terrible. It'll be uh, who gets the last laugh. Maybe that's the name of the column, right? <laughs> right. Um, anyway, Ralph. Appreciate the time as always, my friend. You guys go give him a follow, and uh, we'll talk to you soon, all right? All right, anytime, Scott. All right. It's the great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, 103.3 on the FM, 1420 on the AM. We'll talk a little about the All-Star Game last night near the end of the show, but up next, my one-on-one with Ryan Leaf. Quite an interesting life that guy has led uh, 46 years on this earth. You know him as being a bust. Uh, maybe you know a little bit more to the story, what happened after football, what's happening now. We dig into all of it next, right here on The Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. ESPN 1420, KPEL Lafayette, ESPN 1033, K277DQ Lafayette. A Town Square media station. The best games, the best fans, the best on the bayou. The best, the best. The best ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Joining me now, you know him. You may know some of his story. Maybe you listen to the Bus Podcast. Maybe you know a lot of it. Maybe you know a little of it. You've heard him call games uh, over at Cajun Field. You remember his playing career. Ryan Leaf is our guest now. Good morning, Ryan, man. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. How's life, man? How you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good, Scott. Um, you should let our listeners know that, like we we put this plan in motion to do this interview, like in 2019, and uh, and we're finally there. It clearly the pandemic clearly affected us greatly in terms of us working <laughs> together on an interview. So I, I appreciate you on that end. Hey, I'm glad we could finally do it, man. And and as you know, a lot can happen in just three years. I mean, things in life. You, I don't know. I mean, I know you have kids. I always tell people it's like. Days go slow, but years go fast, right? I mean, you know, it, it's there's some days where I'm with them and I'm like, man, it just I'm tired. They're loud. I love them, right? But this day just keeps going. And then I blink. I'm like, how's my son already seven? Like, what's going on here? So I don't know, man. Um, in some ways, it feels like it's it's been a long time in the making. In other ways, I feel like the interviews happening at just the right time. Well, perfect. I, I appreciate that. I'm looking forward to it. Well, let, let me first ask you something that I ask every first-time guest. Um, what is your favorite Beastie Boys song of all time? Um, you know, I, I'm i not a huge Beastie Boys fan. If you told me, uh, what was, God, what was there that uh, the song that was kind of, 
I can't. I can't think so of it. They so had, they had, right, they had License to Ill, which was kind of like more of a comedic, but you had Fight for Your Right to Party. And then Sabotage was a big one probably when you were that's, maybe. That's the, that's the one that I remember, Sabotage. Yeah. And, then, and then one of their early hits, which I, I can't necessarily understand, uh, um, was um, Girls, 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 yeah. right? Or Girls. Yeah. That's it, uh, yeah. right? Girls, yeah. Rick Rubin wrote that one, and uh, it's a song that they uh, today claim they're most embarrassed about. But you know what, man? You live and you learn, right? Uh, we know all about that, and uh, yeah, girls. That I mean, it, it does have a little catchy ding, 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 ding. I mean, it's it's it gets stuck in your head. There's no question. It's memorable. Um, <laughs> Certainly does. All right, Ryan Leaf, our guest. Uh, wh- when it comes to your life story, Ryan, which of course is, is still being written, mind you. Why do you think so many people are fascinated by it? Well, I, I just, I think, you know, being drafted alongside arguably the greatest to play the game in Peyton Manning at that position, the start of the internet, right? Uh, expectations that existed for me. Um, and then kind of how the way I, um, how I flamed out, right? Not only as a player, but then ultimately in my post-career when I tried to transition back into civilian life and failed at it so miserably. I think, you know, that, that, you know, continuing to make mistake after mistake. And I think people tend to look at that and, um, and at first not necessarily be able to relate to it. And then once I found some peace and serenity and recovery, I think a lot of people can relate to that, uh, being a flawed human being, trying to be better every day. And I think that's, that's made it more of a, um, people are more interested in that because when they look in the mirror, they can kind of see the same, same person. It's hard to look in the mirror and, you know, imagine yourself in the shoes of Tom Brady. But, you know, I think when you look yourself in the mirror, you can kind of imagine yourself in the shoes of, of Ryan Leaf um, and how I, and how I navigated life. You, know, you mentioned Peyton Manning. It's, uh, if, if Peyton Manning, let's say he, he leaves the year before, I don't know that the Ryan Leaf story slaps as hard if Andrew Wadsworth is one and Leaf, or even if you're number one overall, right? That connection to Peyton in some ways, as you said, and I guess at that time in the internet and when it was coming up, it kind of just magnified the Ryan Leaf story a little bit. And then once the story kind of got going, then fair or not, anytime, you know, you made a mistake, it's in the news. Anytime you do something good, no one really knows about it except you, but that, that kind of just turned into your life for a while there. Yeah, it did. And, uh, you know, hey, it, it is what it is. I think for the longest time I cared really too much about what people thought of me, you know, and and what other people think of me is, is entirely none of my business, right? Can't control it, can't dictate it. Um, when, the, when the moment came where I was just okay with who I saw in the mirror, I liked that guy because for the longest time I didn't. So uh, there wasn't a harsher critic than me when it came to me and the behaviors and decisions and consequences that came with all those, those choices and decisions that, uh, you know, I, I ultimately had to either accept it and move on, or it was going to be the end of me. And it almost, it almost was. We had a, um, a coach here at UL, baseball coach, Tony Robichaud. He passed away a few years ago uh, after suffering a heart attack. But he was, you know, a lot of his former players, a lot of them got together shortly after he passed. They they all spent their own money. They erected a, 
uh, a statue of him and they all just talked about the impact he had on their life, right? And he had a lot of different sayings. We'd call him row business. He really was a very wise man and a very faithful guy. And naturally as a coach, you have different players that come through your program and they're all trying to become men, right? And some of them struggle more than others, but he always had this saying where he'd say, you know, take your mess and turn it into a message, right? It's, it's, you're going to struggle at times. It's how you respond. So in terms of like turning a mess into a message, what's, what's your motivation, Ryan, for being, I guess, very open about your struggles in life and what you've learned from them and sharing that with the world? Well, you know, it's not entirely comfortable ripping off the mandate uh, continuously. Um, I can tell you that it's emotionally exhausting when I go do and, uh, and, and talk to college football teams or to community events, uh, things of that nature, or, or do my podcast, right? Those nights were emotionally exhausting. But there has to be purpose in what I do now. And if there isn't, um, it can't be about me. It has to be about somebody else. Sure. And so what my hope is, is that somebody who hears it or sees it or listens um, can use it and know that there's a solution and that they're not alone, that it's okay. And one of the biggest points I try to make, like if I can find my way out of that hole, out of that darkness, um, you know, it's important that if I can do it, anybody can do it. And they have to understand that. And, you know, I, I was very lucky. I was very lucky in that I had a, uh, a famous name of sorts. That, so when I messed up, when I screwed up, there were consequences, and there was a magnifying glass, and people saw it, and there was a spotlight put on it. There's so many of us who are out there going through something similar that I was, um, but it's done in the shadows. No one sees it, and all of a sudden they're gone. And we have to fully understand that every life is precious, and it's important to understand that and cultivate that the best we can. And that's, that's why I continue to do it and will continue to do it. Well, I, I'm to your point, I'm sure it is exhausting. And I, I appreciate you coming on and being open because I could imagine it, it can get tiresome at times. But as you said, having that purpose behind it really helps you and, and I guess grounds you as, okay, this is, this is why I'm doing it. Um, with that being said, Ryan Leaf, our guest, I'm Scott Prather, it's ESPN Lafayette. I want to go back a little bit to childhood. I know you loved basketball, right? You love football too, but you just love basketball. Were you recruited at all in basketball out of Montana? Like, do you, do you still love basketball a ton? I, I did then, right? It was my favorite sport. And, and I did. I made it very clear to the football coaches that were recruiting me that if I were to have gone to your university, I have to be allowed to try to play basketball. Uh, and some football coaches weren't down for that, and they were eliminated from the list. But Washington State was one of them. I went and tried out for the basketball team. I, I made the team as a walk-on basketball player and, you know, practiced and went about that business, never really got a chance to play. But it was, it was, it was my favorite thing until ultimately after the first season, Coach Price came to me and kind of, you know, kind of laid what, the, what perspective it looked like out front there and said, you know, you could – you can make a living doing this this football thing if you put all your all your eggs in one basket and really really put the effort into it. And I knew I wasn't, you know, I I, I mean I don't know for sure, but I knew I wasn't as good at basketball as I was at football. So I I followed that that angle. I still love basketball. Uh, 
I certainly don't enjoy watching it as much as I do watching college and, and NFL football. Um, just for me, it's a, it's a different consumption in how I, in how I view the, the two sports. But, yeah, I mean, basketball was the end-all, be-all for me during that time. Do you, do you remember the moment in your life where you realized being great at sports in a small town in America allowed you to get away with things that perhaps others couldn't? Oh, definitely, right? I mean, that pedestal that I was raised up on because of, um, as someone like the, like the, I can't remember if somebody wrote an article about this or not, but that I, that I realized that I had this, this golden arm that kind of allowed me to behave however I wanted. But I also, you know, I also felt that for me to get out of that small town, you know, I had to have a different, different perspective, different view. I couldn't just, you know, rely on what had always gone on there. I'm the you know, first Montanan since like 1950 to be drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. I mean, there are more first round draft picks in the Manning family than the whole state of Montana. So there was no trailblazer. I was, you know, my heroes were Scotty Tiffin and Jalen Rose and those guys. And so that wasn't what I saw growing up in my home state, right? Especially not guys that, that didn't look like me, and, but they were my heroes, and that's who I wanted to be, and that's who I emulated. And it wasn't necessarily received incredibly well there. Uh, I think I burnt a lot of bridges on my way to, to you know, the top of my, my craft. And so it was a, it was a difficult upbringing um, because of that. Ryan Leaf, our guest, Great Falls, Montana. That was your hometown where you grew up. What's, what's your relationship like with Great Falls today? It's complicated um, simply because, A, I felt like my hometown and my home state uh, really shamed me when I was growing up, um, made me feel incredibly less than, like I was, I was, there was something wrong with me because of how I competed, how I was ultra competitive and, and, and everything like that. Um, and so I, was, I developed a, a sizable resentment. And instead of when I turned pro, you know, taking the high road and really forgiving them and inviting them on the ride with me. Instead, I went back at them and, and kind of scolded them and told them, I told you I'd do this. You guys are nothing. Um, um, that's the way I approached it because of that resentment. And sure enough, you know, I, I, I crashed and burned uh, probably much to their chagrin. And then came back home and victimized my hometown, right? Uh, became a criminal and victimized my hometown. So it's incredibly toxic for me. I've forgiven them. I don't know if they'll ever forgive me, but that's something I can't control. I've tried to make amends the best ways I know how. And uh, it's rare that I get back there. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, it, again, it is what it is. Um, and, I think Great Falls is, is, is doing just fine without me, and, and I'm doing just fine without them, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah, no, I, I understand that for sure. Um, and I, we were talking when we, when we first started this conversation, Ryan, about how a lot can happen in just a couple of years. Um, you know, you playing, I, I'm, I could be totally off base here, but I'm going somewhere with it. You know, you, you being a great athlete that 
uh, they would perceive in in high school is, well, that kid's cocky and he's arrogant and he talks trash. You know, this is a small, predominantly white town in Montana in the 90s. And you fast forward to 2022, and I'm, I'm not suggesting that that's still not the case in, in a number of places around middle America. But it, it does feel like in 2022, uh, a, a young athlete with a competitive edge that is talking trash they might not be liked by everybody, right? But perhaps they're understood more or maybe you have a coach or or someone that comes along and says, okay, let's let's harness this a little bit rather than back. I mean, I was in high school in that age, right? Now I wasn't Ryan Leaf. I wasn't this great athlete. But the idea of, man, everybody just needs to be like Barry Sanders and hand on the ball all the time, right? That's that's not as pre that that's not the dominant mindset that it was back in the nineties in twenty twenty two having a chip on your shoulder, maybe having a little bit of arrogance. I feel like more coaches and adults maybe don't say, well, this is great, but they say, let's harness this a little bit instead of shame on you. Right. I, I, I'll, it, you know, as, as we get older sports evolves, but I feel like the climate and how you view student athletes or prep athletes and how they act probably a little different today in 2022 maybe than it was in, in Great Falls, Montana in the mid-90s. Oh, definitely. I mean, as my, my high school basketball coach told me, I was just I was ahead of my time, you know. Um, you know, I, 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 one time I dunked this basketball and kind of stumbled as I landed and, and, and kind of corrected myself with my hand, and I just kind of stayed that way and kind of glided down the court like a jet airplane back and forth like that. And, like, you know, coach pulled me out, like, like I saw Kobe Bryant do that too. And I was just like, that's the coolest thing in the world. But it just, you know, they just wanted you to be a great athlete and, uh, and be incredibly uh, introvert, introverted, really, is yeah. how they wanted it to be. And, and then there's a reason why guys and, and, and girls don't, don't get out of that state. You know, I, I feel, I think there's, there's a, you have to have an edge to you and for whatever the, revisionist history looks like in terms of me when you want to look at um when you want to look at my past and everything like that you know i was incredibly successful until i wasn't right and that's i think a lot of people assume that i was just never successful right but you have to have been extremely successful to get to that place to where that you can fall from that mountaintop it 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 it, it can't be just one way you can't have it one way and say oh he was he was crap uh you have to have and have an understanding of a full perspective of what, what it was and the things I had to do to get to where I got to were, were, were maybe the reasons why I was able to succeed. Sure. I mean, the, the, the Ryan Leaf story isn't fascinating to so many if you don't have the mountaintop, right? If you don't have great achievements in there. And then, as some people would say, the fall. I mean, that's – yeah. You can't rewrite history and say, oh, well, Ryan Leaf, he's just, he's always this failure and yada, yada, yada. I mean, number one, the story's still being written and you're very open about sobriety and, and where you're at in life now. But going back to what helped you reach fame, I mean, there was a lot of success, unprecedented success in Montana, at Washington State. Um, what, what was the best part and the worst part of your experience as the star quarterback at the at the time, Pac-10 school that, um, you know, that you helped lead to the Rose Bowl, something they hadn't done in, in I don't know, was it ever or 60-something years? I mean, it was a long time. Yep. 
67 years. Um, I, I mean, everything about being the starting quarterback uh, for Washington State was great. I, I don't have I don't have a negative for you. I, I can't find one for my. Maybe the only negative I have is the fact that I didn't come back and play it. That I actually had another year available to me to do it, to experience it, and I chose not to do it. That may be the only negative that I pulled from my four years in Pullman, from the from my teammates to the town, to the community, to my coaches, to my coaches, everything. There just there isn't a negative thing that 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 fits my mind at all when it comes to Washington State. You know, you, you chose Washington State. Um, it was close to home. You were comfortable there. But I, I got to ask you to at least tell with our audience, if they don't know it, one recruiting story where I know you were a fish out of water, but it involves some huge celebrities. It involves the first time you ever <laughs> drank alcohol. Can you share that with our audience, please? Yeah, I was. Uh, I went on a recruiting trip to the University of Miami, you know, the, the U. And uh, uh, while I was there, you know, I was – Dennis Erickson was the head coach. They had just won a national championship, you know. Um, and when we went out and about, you go out and you hang out with the other players that are on the team. Your host, who was – my host was Bryce Erickson, who was Dennis's son, who was a backup quarterback on that team. He took me out, took me about uh, on my recruiting trip. And, you know, uh, throughout the night, we ran into um, fellow teammates and everything like that. And – and years later, I was able to reminisce and think back to who these individuals were. But at the time, they were nobodies. They were they were players on this university team. One was a guy not by the name of Dwayne Johnson, who everybody knows now as The Rock and um, WWE wrestler and and, and uh, movie star. And then the other one was Warren Sapp. You know, two guys um, that uh, were became were just incredibly talented and uh, went on to much different success. One as a Pro Football Hall of Famer. The other, um, you know, football wasn't the, the, the plan. But, I, of course, at the time, had no idea who they were, right? I mean, they're just guys there. And then years later, when I would see them and see their success, and I'd be like, I remember that, dude. I, I was – I partied with them on my recruiting trip to Miami. It's wild. And uh, uh, so it's, it's, a crazy, it's a crazy story, um, one that didn't develop for years for me because you just had no idea. But I remember reading, uh, I was on, on a trip once, and I was reading The Rock's memoir uh, and reading about his time at, at, at Miami, and it, it really sparked that, that recollection for me. I'm like, I, I, I hung out with that guy that night. The first night I ever drank alcohol in my life, I hung out with that dude. <laughs> I mean, I, I, imposter syndrome is a thing. I cannot put myself in your shoes where you're a kid and – from Montana, and and you know you 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 thought, hey, look, I'm I'm the best quarterback. I mean, you had that when it came to athletics, you had that competitive drive. But I mean, suddenly you're in a limo in South Beach with Warren Sapp and The Rock drinking alcohol for the first time ever. That's um, that's I mean, again, fish out of water is kind of the perfect analogy, but that's that's got to be that's I lo- I mean, it's funny. It, it's you 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 live uh, a life where you're in the public eye, Ryan, and yet. Before you were famous, or either one of them are famous, there y'all are in a limo in South Beach, man. You just you never know where life's taking you. Um, we're going to take a quick timeout. Ryan Leaf, our guest. It's the Great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette. We're right back right after this.
you, my friend. I'm glad I did this test on you, the friendship test. What? You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Sports talk that's so legit, it smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean, can't you smell it? I'm smelling barbecue, too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back into the great Scott show. Intergalactic from the 1998 Beastie Boys album, Hello Nasty. That album came out a few months after the 1998 NFL draft. I want to get into that conversation with our guest at this time, Ryan Leaf. Uh, Ryan, before I I, I ask you about the Chargers and and the NFL experience a little bit, I remember listening to your podcast, Bust, which, um, you know, for anyone that hasn't listened to it, uh, I recommend it. You know, it's, I think, 10 parts, and you're basically just, you get emotional understandably and you're you're sharing the firsthand stories kind of of your journey in life from childhood to to now um i think in our last segment you said it was emotionally exhausting i imagine a little therapeutic as well but one thing you said in it is that you you've always had trouble trusting people and and still have trouble trusting people today where do you think that stems from well i just you know I think that, uh, you know, childhood trauma, I think, does that. How, who do you trust? You know, it was always interesting to see people who treated me so poorly growing up to once I turned pro and had all this money and, and all that. I, I think it happens to everybody. So there's a there's a lot of mistrust, and I've had to work really hard on uh, how I trust, um, what that looks like. Um, you know, everything doesn't have to be all in. And I think that's what, I think that's what I was. I was all gas, no break for so long in terms of, of relationships, you know, people I trusted or didn't trust. I mean, it was only black and white one way or the other. So I think that there's just been a lot of work on my end with, with, when it comes to trust, uh, you know, with family, working with a therapist, things like that. Uh, just like everybody, I'm a work in progress. Will continue to be until until I'm no longer here. And so, uh, you know, I try to I try to make the best that I can out of out of the situations and the and the lessons that I've learned. It's hard for for a lot of us, certainly me, and and I would imagine unless we have a, a celebrity listening right now, anyone to understand. It, it, you know, trust issues mean a lot of different things to different people. But if you're in the limelight or you come into money like you did at a time in your life, it, it probably means something else because we can't relate to that experience because we, we didn't experience it. But you got a party has to be guarded. And yet, I'm sure, if you always have your guard up, it's, it's probably not healthy. I'm sure it's a, it's a challenge um, going into the draft process, though. You wanted to go to San Diego. There was a lot of people say, oh, there's a debate. Was it going to be Peyton? Was it going to be Ryan Leaf? One or two? Did you ever really think you were going one? Did you always know, look, it's number two to San Diego, and that's where I want to go? Well, it's where I wanted to go. But, no, we were very fearful all the way up to the last night that, that, that Indianapolis was going to draft me. And um, hearing from the stories from Bill Polian and uh, Jim Ursay, that was a real reality. In fact, Jim didn't even make the trip to New York until Saturday morning. 
because they were still trying to figure it out Friday night. So, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people since time, it's been 25 years almost, um, people just assume because of how the careers turned out that it was a no brainer. And <laughs> it wasn't, I was, you know, I was more physically talented than any other quarterback in that draft. Um, you know, I had had no red flags and complete success at Washington state. There was no, um, past history to just show that when things got tough and criticism got bad, that I would, that I would turn tail and run and protect myself and, and not think of anybody else. So, yeah, it was really close. We were fearful that, that Indianapolis may draft me first. But luckily the night before, late that night, my agent called me, let me know that at Indianapolis had made their decision and that I was going to be the second pick to San Diego. And my family and I were all just really, really, really happy with, with how that was going to be. We wanted to go to the West Coast. I wasn't necessarily thinking about the right things, right? I wasn't thinking about having Marshall Falk in the backfield and Marvin Harrison out there on the perimeter to catch balls as a rookie. I was more interested in, you know, getting what I wanted. It was all about me, right? I wanted the beach. I wanted the babes. I wanted the money. That's, that's, that's what I wanted. And then I got to play football, the boot. So it was, that was, that, that was more important to me than anything. The chargers take you second overall and, you know, a lot of hype rookie year. You earn the starting job, you guys, uh, I think you started 2-0, and and, you know, as far as the NFL goes, Ryan, I know it's not just in a flash. I know there's a few years there, but it seemed like after that 2-0 and start from then on, it was kind of downhill. The, the media reports were never glowing. They, were, they, they seemed to always be negative. Now, a number of factors goes into why you weren't able to succeed in the NFL, and I know you've, you've openly taken um, ownership of those reasons, but... Of the number of factors, what, what factor do you think attributed to it the most? Uh, my inability to deal with failure, right? N- not viewing failure as an opportunity to do it better the next time. I just saw it as a black and white issue. I, I, in my eyes, I had never failed. And now I was failing on the, uh, on the highest level for everybody to see, and I couldn't handle the criticism, right? Couldn't handle being told. Uh, it brought back, a t- told I was bad, uh, brought back a ton of, past trauma around that. And, and, and then I, um, um, and then I had to, had to, to try to navigate it and I didn't use any support staff. I just, I tried to do what I'd always done. If I got back into a corner, fight my way out. And at that level, you can't do it when you're battling the best defenses in the world every week, you can't spend the entire week leading up to it, fighting with, with the media, with, with the organization, with teammates, just, it, it does not allow for anything like that to happen. So some people might read that as, oh, well, it's just it's just a chip on the shoulder. But it seemed, it sounds like it was it was a lot deeper than that because I, the idea, I guess, in sports, at least from a media standpoint, or the way I've oh, he has a chip on his shoulder. It's usually put in terms that it's a positive for a player. This sounds like for you, Ryan, it was something that was for you know damaging that that hurt you in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, like any, I mean, you know, psychologically, just because we're great at football doesn't mean we have the ability to deal with life on life's terms or have life skills. It's just, that's a work in progress. You know, you just, you're good at one thing and you identify as such, and therefore you don't think there's anything else out there for you. So, yeah, it's, this is a, this is a, you know, progress rather than perfection. Um, trudge, uh, I'm 46 now. Uh, that was, like I said, 25 years ago. It's, 
you know, there should be a significant difference in maturation in that, that process. It just took me longer than I think a lot of people uh, who normally figure it out. And you have to, I guess, rehash a lot of it more often than certainly the average person does. Um, but, you know, it's like I said, there's so many people fascinated by the Ryan Leaf story. When you were waived by San Diego, did you expect to catch on quickly with someone else? I know it was Tampa briefly and then Dallas, but when you were waived, what was what was the expectation after that? Yeah, I just assumed that I would go on to the next team, right? And I would continue on and I'd, get it, I'd, get, I'd write the ship and a new geographic location would be the answer for me uh, and away I'd go. But I didn't change. Like, you know, geography can change, but uh, no matter where I go, there I was, right? I mean, I was in a perfect position to learn from Tony Dungy, that organization with great players. But because my ego, because of my whatever, um, when they asked me to take a pay cut to stay on the roster, I told them to, to, you know, tell them where they could stick it. Sure. You know, I was the start, I was a starting quarterback. I don't do that. You know, my, my pride, uh, and ego, um, stopped me from having, I, you know, you look at NFL guys, Right now, Chase Daniels with the Los Angeles Chargers. I mean, Chase that guy's played 10, well. 12 years, and, you know, I have more, t- more touchdown passes than him. And, you know, it, but you look at his career as a success. If you're just willing to humble yourself and go, hey, I could get, I'm going to get paid to play football. And I may not even have to do it in the pressure situation, but just as a backup and as a, a practice guy. And I just, I just, I did not have the perspective around that. I was one thing. I was a starting NFL quarterback, and if I wasn't, then I wasn't. You know, when it comes to second chances in football, do you, going back to this time and age, I guess this was the year 2000 or 2001, do you feel like you would have been afforded those second chances at football if you had been a, a black quarterback? No, I, I certainly don't. Um, I think I have benefited greatly from what you would call white privilege. I grew up in that type of environment. Um, there were only two African-American uh, students, uh, athletes at my high school. Um, and I had never truly understood the marginalization aspect of things. And until I really was incarcerated and was told by a judge that I had no value and that I was going to be warehoused and given a number, I don't think I still fully understood and so there's a lot of gratitude in that experience for me simply because it's opened my eyes to uh, a, a lot of different things. And so to answer your question again, I, I, I think that if I behaved the way I did and performed the way I did uh, and I was a black quarterback, there is no way that I would have been given three more opportunities from Tampa Bay to Dallas to Seattle. I, 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 I don't see uh, how that would have would have happened, uh, and that's incredibly unfortunate um, because it's happened to a bunch of guys. Yeah, no, and I, you know, this is my last, I guess, football playing question, and I want to I want to preface it. Um, I heard Jamarcus Russell on a podcast recently, and he was talking about being a, a big bust, right? Number one overall pick, quarterback, um, and he, you know, he's he took responsibility. He wasn't saying that like he didn't do anything wrong to be clear. 
you know, he says some stuff. And of course, in today's day and age, you know, you say one quote and that's the one that people see on their timeline. They don't see the whole thing. But he also pointed out that the Raiders didn't take time to perhaps help him with some of his struggles, maybe not necessarily even football struggles. And basically, you know, they invested in him when they drafted in him, when they drafted him and paid him, but they didn't invest in the investment after that. And, you know, on one hand, because he's Jamarcus Russell or because you're Ryan Leaf and many on the outside don't know you as people, they just say, oh, well, that was a that was a big draft bust, right? If you are critical of an organization that paid you lots of money and you you let them down, right? You didn't live up to your side of the deal. They say, oh, well, you, you failed in this big documented way. Where I'm going with this, Ryan, is if you were to give an honest critique of the organization's choices when you were there, I feel like a lot of people are quick to maybe dismiss it. Oh, it's just sour grapes. It's that. I mean, you're 46 now. It's been a while. You have taken, you know, responsibility for your choices. What's your honest take on Chargers ownership and management when you were there from 98 to 2000? It doesn't matter what my take is on it at all. It doesn't matter at all because um, all I'm responsible for and all I can control is, is, my action. So it, it, it doesn't matter what I think or feel or, 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 or view as what the Chargers did or didn't do. My, my part in all of it was not, um, was not complimentary, right? Right. I acted out. So it does no good at all. Um, because soon as you take accountability for something and then look at somebody else, and you put yourself as a victim in any way, shape, or form, you, you're, it nullifies everything you've said or taken accountability for. And gotcha. so, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I would listen to and, and watch the, the Jamarcus Russell stuff, and, you know, I, I see the accountability things, pieces, but you, you, can't, you can't talk about other, other people or, or, or in other organizations because you just absolutely defeat the whole purpose of taking accountability for your part. Okay. It sucks that we're butts of jokes. It sucks that our careers didn't, didn't, uh, um, what that looks like or what that has. Um, and, and it's incredibly, in, incredibly silly to, to look at something else and try to derive, I guess, if it makes you feel better, by all means, I think I blame everybody for so long and that, that did me no good. Right. So have you ever have you ever met Jamarcus or talked to him? I have not. I you know, it's they're they're guys if he if he wanted to talk to Ryan Leaf, would you be all for it? Um of course. Of course. That's always the always the case. I I, I look, you know, you you get put in a certain box and people feel like they know you and then you live with it, but you're here. You are on the other side of it at 46 with this perspective. But so much of your perspective, Ryan, and, and listening to your podcast was the things that came after football and life after football. You you said Vicodin was the 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 biggest opponent of your life. Um, you referenced earlier being incarcerated. What what was the point in your life where? you kind of reached the lowest point. And then what was that point where you found that redemption? And I know it's, it's, yeah, I know it's not the shortest story, but 
Um, I know, I know, our, I know our audience. Maybe they don't know that part. Maybe they just know, you know, Ryan Leaf, the guy that that, that played football. Well, that's you know that people people consume what what they want to consume. They they're open minded to what they want to be open minded about. Um, me doing your show or me doing um, other other things, my podcast, it, it, in no way, shape, or form um, is meant to go. Hey, everybody, look how look how great things are now. Right. It's not. It's not. It's not at all. It has absolutely nothing to to do with that. Uh, it's all about, um, you know, helping somebody who may be in need of it um, and having the platform that I do. And since it's not going to go away, like it's it's not going to go away. And since that's not going to happen, find a way to make it purposeful. So at the end of the day, if 99% of the people um, still don't like me or still think I'm um, a waste of space or a loser or whatever, I mean, that's that's on them. You know, that's that's on them. And, um, but that 1%, if there's someone out there that uh, is in a similar situation that I was, I, I just, I don't want anybody to be as miserable as I once was. And that's incredibly important and purposeful now. No question about it. What, what is that taking your mess, making it a message? That's where you draw that inspiration. You know, um, what, what, when, when substances kind of, controlled you in some ways and you were incarcerated what was the thing that led you to your redemptive path and like you said it's not to to say hey, everybody look at me it's to help those out there that you know might be struggling right now uh you know that uh if you're willing to surrender and accept help like you know the world's uh, at your feet it really is Bust is you, the podcast. You, if you if you are able to, you know, simply, um, and that was the biggest thing for me was to surrender. Like, understand that my way doesn't work. For as hard as I try, my way doesn't work. I need uh, guidance and support in a different way, and I need to to surrender that and accept the help that 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 is there. So that's incredibly important uh, in in how it happened for me and how it can for others. The uh, the bus podcast you you get into a lot of it, um, you know uh, the brain tumor as well. I mean, do you ever do you ever sit back and think about how unique your life story is? Oh no, no, because um, I go to a lot of uh, talks and discussions and meetings and stuff, and I hear my story everywhere. You know, there's some unique qualifiers, but like I think the main point that that I continue to try to make and I live by and understand is that like, I am a flawed human being uh, trying to be better every day, just like everybody else. And, uh, and I'm just like you. And that's, that, that keeps me grounded and um, it allows me to be where my feet are at all times. You've talked a lot about your parents and, you know, your father and that relationship and how, how great they've been uh, as a dad. Now, you know, how much of, um, you know, your journey and, and the things you've learned in life, do you utilize every day in fatherhood? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it makes for, um, a wealth of knowledge. Um, I think any father, um, they try to correct things that they felt were, were wrong in, in their father son relationship. 
they also take some some great things that that their father help them navigate and you can apply to, to raising your child. For me, the best part of being a father is I have an unbelievable partner as a, as a mom to him. And she is incredibly helpful to me, um, uh, and understanding, um, and, and really understanding how important it is to me to be a good father like that. When, when it's all said and done, it will be the best thing I've ever, I've ever done or will ever do. So, um, you know, all my effort, all my uh, instincts, and in the moment when they place that child on your chest right after he's born, there's a, a wave of selflessness that just rolls over you because you know, again, it's never going to be about you again. It's going to be about them. It's going to be about your family taking care of them, doing what's best and what's right for them. And what's best and right for them is to be the best possible version of myself. That's, that's the only way I can contribute to this family and so that's why i continue to work so hard at it there's just nothing like it man there's just nothing like it it's uh it's it's the the greatest gift in the world it's the best job in the world it's also the hardest job in the world but there's nothing like it man ryan this is this has been great my last question uh what what would 46 year old ryan leaf tell 14 year old ryan leaf uh it's some it's gonna hurt like hell um but you're going to be okay. Uh, you're going to get through it. Um, enjoy, enjoy every minute of it and understand that this is life and life is, uh, is brutal sometimes and life isn't fair. Uh, and it's about how you deal with it. That matters. And sometimes you're going to deal with it in an incredibly poor, negative and toxic way, but, um, you're going to get through it. And, uh, and that's, that's, you know, cause I, I wouldn't give up any experience that I've had. Yeah, it's been tough. Yeah, it's hurt sometimes. Yeah, I've had to live through three years in prison, but I'm incredibly grateful for all of it because I just, I simply wouldn't be the guy that I am right now. And, and I like that guy. So if that was what the search was for to finally like the guy I saw in the mirror, then it was, then it was worth it. Wonderful. Ryan, I'm, I, I'm glad to hear you say that, man. And, um, you know, I know a lot of your interviews these days on the radio are about, college football and you know i had phil Steele on last week and i i'd love your thoughts on conference realignment and, and and i know you think it's weird with usc and ucla going but i um yeah i i just i wanted to to get more perspective on your story and i was very um you know i me back just just have me back sometime we'll talk some football yeah i i would love that you know next time you come on it's it's not about the the, the bus podcast or anything like that it's just about football but You've been more than generous with your time, and uh, thanks for for coming on the air today. And all the best, man, and um, continued uh, success and fatherhood and your journey and and sobriety and everything like that, man. And I appreciate you being on and and just being so open. You bet, Scott. Thanks for for finally making this work. You got it. That is Ryan Leaf. Good stuff there. It's the great Scott Show, ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. We'll take a timeout, come back, hit on last night's MLB All-Star game. Open up phone lines, 337-269-1077. A pair of Cajuns drafted, one that thought he might be was not. Nine straight for the American League? Don't go anywhere. Great Scott show coming your way. Right after this. Hey, this is Rich Eisen. You can hear me every day on ESPN Lafayette from noon to three on the Rich Eisen Show. 
ESPN Lafayette. E to the S to the P to the N. The best ticket in sports. Welcome back into the Great Scott Show. Call lines are open for you. 337-269-1077. You want to give me a call? Any thoughts on the um, interview there with Ryan Leaf last night's All-Star game? Hit me up. Let's head to the phone lines right now. Good morning. Welcome into the show. Hello. Uh, yeah, man. It was, uh, it was a nice interview. I'm at, uh, I'm at the relist, and I kind of caught the tail, and I was kind of moving around, uh, moving around the house. Um yeah, man, that's crazy. Man, when you when you when you look back at that time, man, I remember, uh, you know, a, a lot of that stuff is suspense, I guess, the drama is fake. But what you think that was true? Like the, the coach was actually thinking about picking this man over uh, Peyton Manning. I always thought that was just whatever. I mean, I, I, Ryan said he thinks it was kind of played up a good bit. Like he always felt like he'd be San Diego, um, and. You know, when he didn't meet with the Colts because he slept in one morning, that kind of cemented it. But I don't, I don't know that it was ever as close a decision as the media made it out to be at the time. It continues to make it out to be. It was always kind of Peyton one, Leaf two. But like you said, you gotta, you gotta build up the drama going into that draft. Hey, but Jerome Peyton, I, I don't. Did he play at Washington State? I believe he did. Yeah. I think so. No, I, I think he played. played he might have played at Washington. I know he's from Canada. Um, okay, okay, okay. He played yeah, at well, uh, yeah. He played at Washington. I just looked it up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm tripping. Guess I'm getting old. Though. But uh, but yeah, man, it was a nice interview. Man, uh, I didn't, like I said, I didn't ca- I didn't catch the first part. Um, yeah, that question, man. That, what where, where that question came from when you asked him about uh, the, if he was black? Well, I mean, it, it, where did it come from? I mean, if he had been a black quarterback in the late 90s, early 2000s that screwed up as many times as he did, he wouldn't have continued to get second chances. Um, I mean, it's <laughs> it's true. That's where it came from. And he's he's well aware of it. And he, you know, I anyone that has time listening to his 10-part uh, his podcast bust is a heck of a ride. It's talk about transparency and uh, just... I don't know, vulnerability. Um, but the guys guys had quite an interesting story from fame to bust to prison to now, you know, living a life where he's, you know, working at outreach centers for addicts and now in broadcasting. And it's just, I mean, I know he, he said, ah, it's not really that different from anyone else. It is. There's, I, <laughs> I think, I think he's, he's speaking specifically in regards to, you know, his issues in life with, uh, you know, uh, drugs and and dealing with childhood trauma and things like that. But you know, yeah. all the other parts of it, I as far as how is in the public eye and everything, is uh, that's what makes it kind of unique. But I, I told them in the in the first time when you might have missed, I'm like, listen, you could have if if Peyton Manning had left after his junior year, and Ryan Leaf was number one overall. I don't like he's still it's still a pretty well known story. But there was something about it always being attached to Peyton Manning that just that just made it bigger, you know? Like, Peyton's winning a Super Bowl in Denver, and Ryan Leafs, you know, who hadn't played in the league in forever, is, you know, getting out of prison. Like, it was it, the, the the two 
just together being tied together, it always, I think, I don't know, put a bigger microscope on him. Well, I'm, I'm glad he wasn't drafted in 83. We, uh, might not be an interview with Ryan Lee. Pressure <laughs> with all those quarterbacks that came out in that draft. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I Look, honestly, man, you, you I, the reason I enjoy interviews like that and, and I want to work on getting others is – you know, if you don't hear the story, you only get the headlines. You only remember someone certain way. And every every single one of these athletes, I mean, there's whether they're big or whether they're not, there's 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 humanity and stories behind all of them. And um, his was kind of told through the media. And you know, fair or not, you know, people always have an opinion of him. But I think there's you know, there's more to all every single one of these guys. And, and that's the side yeah, of sports right. that interests me more. Me. You know. I, I feel you on that. You know, a lot of times people gonna look at it. Oh, excuse me, nah, man. The, the people they they hold themselves accountable. But anyway, hey, I know. Um, you know, it would be a nice summer project. Not trying to tell you what to do, but if you go back to that uh, draft, so Kyle Turley was in that draft. Randy Moss, Charles Woodson. Yeah, I mean know, Moss, Moss, like, Woodson, Manning, and Leaf. They were the four guys at the um, Heisman Trophy ceremony. You know, but. Moss slipped quite a and bit one in the, of the draft. Most iconic, Scott, an iconic moment when when Randy Moss went up there with those shades on. <laughs> that that was that was tight, man. Yeah, uh, Ryan yeah, said that Randy was so nervous at the Heisman ceremony. Like, he didn't say this in an interview today. He said he was so nervous because he was he was so worried that they were just only going to talk about you know, issues he might have had off the field the whole time. And they didn't, um, at least not the Heisman Trophy ceremony. But, like, it sucks, man. There's a young guy that should be enjoying the moment, and he's, you know, he's he's a kid, and he's just nervous of, oh, my God, what are they They're about to say bad stuff about me. And he's at the Heisman ceremony, you know. But that's kind of I, – I don't blame him that he was only seen, you know, through his eyes, you know, what, what he was dealing with in life and how the media was reporting on it and – Meanwhile, he's just balling out at Marshall with Chad Pennington. As a matter of fact, hold up. Didn't, didn't, yeah, Washington State played Michigan that year, right? In the Rose Bowl, yeah. In the Rose Bowl? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, hey, man, Charles Woodson, man, one of the greatest individual seasons by a player in the last, well, 25 seasons. The, 90, the, 97, the 97 football season, I think it also had that wild Nebraska-Missouri game where Nebraska, Nebraska. like, kicked the ball up and it, you know, it, it – a player kicked the ball in the last play up into the air like a receiver, right, or a defender, and then it bounced in the back of the end zone, and Mizzou is going for this one. There were a lot of memorable games from that 97 season. Um, I mean, shoot, the, uh, the the LSUs went over Florida, right, when Spurrier was at his peak. Like, yes, that, yes. that 97 college yes. football season was was awesome, man. There was a lot going on. Man, they had a game, man. I, I know I know you had to go. That was a game between Florida State and Florida. I was a big Florida State uh, fan, man, like big, big. And, man, Fred Taylor just went wild man, against Florida State, kind of knocked them out the, uh, yeah. out, uh, that year. But uh, anyway, but, hey, he went that draft also. Like, man, that's that would be, be an interesting project, man, if you go back and just redo the draft, knowing what you know now. Because, uh, you know, that, that's, of course that's not cool in a sense, but. Well, yeah, I know, you know Andre Wadsworth wouldn't go three, and Curtis Enos wouldn't go five. Uh, I know that much. But yeah. Takeo Spikes was in that draft. Um, there was Alan Fanica. I mean, I mean, you know, yeah. Louisiana's own Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. You know, Randy Moss, Fanica, Woodson, Manning. You got four Hall of Famers that went in the first round of that draft. But it was, uh, yeah, that's a memorable one for sure. 
But yeah, man, I'm glad, uh, I'm glad he turned his life around, man. You know, he could have went, you know, another way. And hey, uh, and like I say, man, I, you know, like you said, man, it's a nice interview. It's good to hear, hear you know, the voice of some of these people. Because like you said, it's not, this guy was just sound bite. Knock it off. You know, when he went at that uh, reporter back in the day. Yep. Junior say I had to come over there. But man, you know, I, I would love to hear more of his story. Cause he had some veterans in that locker room. People like Randy Harrison. Was go, the, uh, go, Randy go, Harrison was go, look, it, it, download the bus, bust dash Ryan Leaf. It's just 10 episodes and it's him just saying it all. And it's, it's, it's great. Well worth your time. All right. Thank you, man. Thank you. I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. James Butler will be in the house. My friend, former NFL wide receiver, and I uh, might talk to Phil Steele one more time. We'll see. So I'll come in your way tomorrow on the Great Scott Show. Dan Patrick shows next. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports.